You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Our guest on Preaching Source today is my friend Robbie Gallaty, and he's the senior pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee. He holds an MDiv and the PhD in expository preaching from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Robbie, we are delighted to have you back with us today. It's a joy to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, you're on campus this week at our text-driven preaching conference doing uh, some of our uh, sessions for us, which we're glad to have you doing that. Uh, Where did you first or when did you first encounter the term text-driven preaching and when, when did you begin in your ministry to really focus on, on biblical exposition? Yeah, it's a great question. So I was uh, born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. And people say, we know you're there from there because you say it right, right? Uh, but I uh, got radically saved, raved Roman Catholic, got radically saved in 2002. And uh, a girl calls me up who I went to college with, and she says, hey, you need to come to this Bible study that's on the campus of, U- of UNO, which was the University of New Orleans, to hear this guy named T-Bone. He's leading the Bible study. Now, I'd just gotten out of the world. I was in the MMA fighting. I'm like, T-Bone, I know a T-Bone, right? This is going to be my kind of guy. I walked in to find Tony Marita. I'm like, that's not a T-bone, that's a sirloin steak, right? And I love Tony, but he didn't look uh, you know, real big back then. And uh, I sat in this Bible study where for the first time, this man took Philippians and just walked through the text. I never heard anything like it, obviously. He said to me after, he said, man, do you have a church home? I said, I don't. He said, I want you to come hear my pastor. His name is Jim Shaddix, Edgewater Baptist Church, Paris Avenue. And so Uh, Doc, I went to church there as a new believer, and for the first time I was exposed to expository text-driven preaching. Now, you know and I know it's an acquired taste. I tell people, for people first hearing expository preaching, like, wow, I've never heard that, anything like this. But once you have that palette of expository preaching, you and I both know it's hard to hear other kinds of preaching. And so I was ruined in a good way from Dr. Shaddix. Then I started uh, getting invested in by a man named David Platt, who was a church member there. And when I went to seminary, my first class was Proclaiming the Bible with Jim Shaddix. Our book was Power in the Pulpit, Shaddix and Vines, and here I am today. So... Yeah, what a great joy that was. Uh, and what incredible influences uh, that you've had to, to help you there. Uh, what would you say are the qualities of must-listen-to preaching, that preaching you just can't escape listening to? Man, oh, yeah, this is good. I, I would say people who are passionate about what they're preaching about. And, and I tell young preachers all the time, if the text doesn't move you, don't expect it to move your people. And we get that way by saturating ourselves weekly in the text and meditating and, and memorizing and thinking about the text. Uh, I'm reminded of George Whitfield years ago, the prince of, of preaching in America when he came here, had a great ministry. Benjamin Franklin, I heard this story, would go visit uh, and hear Whitfield, who could preach without the use of amplification. Ten to 15,000 would come, you know, to hear him. And Benjamin Franklin would walk on the edge of the crowd just to see supernaturally if he could hear. One person stopped him one day and said, Mr. Franklin, why are you here? You don't believe what Whitfield is saying. And Franklin responded, I don't believe what Whitfield's saying, but Whitfield does. And I want to be that kind of preacher where there's just such a conviction and passion when I preach. And I think that's one of the things, just to have passion when you preach. In addition to that, I would say you also want to have clear preaching. 
Good preaching, I think, is clear preaching. When people leave my sermons and they say, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. I've never heard anything like it, and I don't know how you got there. I'm like, that's not a compliment. I want people, Doc, to say, that was so simple. I think I can do that. I can see that in the text. So I would say passion and clarity are key. And, 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 and I would just say one more thing, just application. You know, we need to understand as preachers that it's difficult for our people to connect the dots like, like they, they want to grow closer to the Lord. They want to hear the things of God, but they need to be told, and I sense, through clear application. And so many preachers take us to the edge without applying the text. Now, we have to be careful. Remember, Haddon, Haddon Robinson used to say this, there's more heresy in application than any other part of the sermon, so we have to be careful. But I think it's helpful for us to say, this is what we've heard, and now this is how we respond to what we've just heard. Yeah. Uh, Robbie, folks who know you and and are familiar with your ministry know that you have got this incredible passion for disciple-making. Uh, in one of your books you wrote, We Can't Expect to Experience the Ministry of Jesus and Divorce Ourselves from the Model that He Implemented, Disciple-Making. And I, happily, there, there seems to have been uh, a rise in interest and focus on discipleship in Southern Baptist churches recently. What, what encourages you about any of those trends? Do you see those trends, and, and what encourages you about that? Yeah, I, I, I do. And just for those listening, I mean, think about 20 years ago, we did not hear many people talk about discipleship or disciple-making. Uh, I'm really excited about it. What, what I, I, wanted, I want us to be cautious about is that we don't want discipleship to become a junk drawer term, just just kind of a term that it, it's everything, so it means anything, and in a sense it means nothing. And so uh, I want to be careful to define the term. So when we talk discipleship, we're, we're talking about intentionally equipping believers with the Word through accountable relationships, obviously empowered by the Holy Spirit, but the goal is to replicate Christ-like followers, right? So the goal is not only to be disciple, but to make disciples. And the reason for defining the terms, I think, is because if not, our conversations could become as useful as those at the top of the Tower of Babel. And what I mean is everybody's using similar terms, but they're speaking different languages. So I want to be careful to define the term. Secondly, I think what's cool for pastors is just to, or a need for pastors is to think about how do you develop a pathway like people will say, well, we make disciples in the church. We call it Sunday school, or we call it life groups, or we do it through preaching. And that's true. It's a part of it. But I would say we need to have some kind of systematic process for spiritual growth. Many of us, sadly, and me included for years, I didn't have a process. You know, it was just, hey, they come to church on Sunday. But at Long Hollow, we've developed a systematic process. And what's cool about it is when you get people deeper in the Word individually, it affects the church globally as a whole when you preach to your people. So, Well, your metaphor pathway is a good one because you, you think, okay, what, how, what's the path? How, how is That's this right. person going to, to actually go here? Where, where do you think, as Southern Baptists, where do you think we can improve as a denomination in our discipleship? I think we just start thinking, what do we do after people cross the threshold of faith? I, I mean, you, you, you're passionate about sharing the gospel. I'm passionate about evangelism and sharing the gospel. And we always say we need more people to be evangelistic, and I would agree. And, well, you know, and, and here's what's neat. Uh, people will say to me, you talk about discipleship, but you're, what about evangelism? And I say, hey, I'm highly passionate about evangelism. I just don't want to be the only evangelist in my church, which normally happens. It's just that staff group and the pastor. 
if pastors could get this, you have an undiscipled army of people every week looking at you that if you begin to grow them deep in the Word of God and teach them how to engage with the Word, they become the greatest evangelists. So it's just thinking differently from you doing all the work and executing the work of ministry to Ephesians four eleven through 13, equipping the people, equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. So let's just think, what do we do? after salvation. And I'll just end with this on this point. I tell people baptism is not the finish line, it's the starting line. Let's high five and celebrate God doing a work in a person's life, but that's the beginning of the hard work. Uh, boy, for years and all kinds of leadership seminars and books, I've, I've heard lots of people say what doesn't get measured doesn't get done. Uh, in your <laughs> book, Marks of a Disciple, you, you gave that a positive uh, twist, which I really like. And you said what gets measured gets accomplished. Yes. Uh, so how can pastors do that in ministry? How can they inspect their ministries and, and what do they measure and how do they measure it to make sure that they're moving in the direction they want to go? Yeah. I mean, this is the big thing for me personally to grow. I mean, for those listening, when you graduated from seminary, if you had the privilege like I did to go to seminary, really how much have you grown outside of school? You know, most of people when they graduate, including me, if I'm not careful, you finish the degree, you finish reading the books, and you really don't grow much as a preacher unless you have what I call a feedback loop. So I have a group of trusted staff members. I've been meeting with these guys for probably eight years now. Every every week, eight years, we meet uh, on a Monday. We basically do a couple of things. They come in on Monday morning, and we recap the message from Sunday. So they give me one thing to work on, one thing to keep, one thing you did well. And I will use that group to say, hey, let's work this week on on. Uh, transitions. Let's work this week on the intro. Give me some feedback on the conclusion. And it's very helpful. Now, you may say, well, I don't have a staff like that. I'm by vocation or I'm a smaller church pastor. You do have trusted deacons that you can meet with at Hardee's or Whataburger or McDonald's in the morning and just ask them, hey, speak into my life to help me grow as a preacher. So that's what we do on the front end. But I also have a sermon prep group. And, and you, you, you love the language just like I do, the English language. The, the Bible was written or given in an oral culture. So I think the Bible, we learn as much by listening as we do as reading. So if we just read a text in the study, yeah, we can glean some things. But when you talk conversationally in a dialogue with a group, I think you begin to see things and connections you may miss otherwise. So once a week after we do the sermon prep uh, or the sermon critique feedback, we do a sermon prep. And I'm still old school rudimentary. I do a CIT, central idea of the text. I move to the proposition of the text because I think that kind of puts legs to the, to the theme. I develop the points from there. We come up with some walking points. How do we apply the text? And we do a working title. And when I can take that basic sermon prep time, I can go into the study and kind of put meat to the bones. And I do that every week. And I'll tell you personally, I think I've grown more since I've gotten out of school than I did. In, and, I, and listen, I grew light years in seminary. I went to school as a one-year-old Christian, so obviously I grew. But it's that regular repetition. You know, you grow through practicing and learning and repeating. So I would just commend that to uh, the pastors out there. If you don't have that, I would try to find that. Uh, Robbie, you founded a, a ministry. I love the title, Replicate Ministries, and you often talk about disciples who make disciples. Talk to us a little bit about that process. How does that happen? Yeah. So obviously the word disciple is a learner. Um, 
it's from the Greek word mathetaeus, where we get the English word mathematics, which obviously if anybody's taken math in high school or college, it's a lot of discipline there. So you're a disciplined learner. And to be a leader in the church, obviously, you have to continue learning. So what we tell people is the goal is not just to be a disciple, because let me, let's, let's be honest, the disciples had every right to stay in that first century Bible study. They didn't have to leave. Why would they leave? They have some of the greatest preaching. It's like having every preacher at this conference in your, in your Bible study small group. I mean, you got Peter and James and Bartholomew. They had every right to stay, but thank God they replicated the process. So the whole ministry idea is uh, how do we replicate our life? So for the people listening, who are you investing in? so that when you're gone, can take on and continue the legacy. Uh, how about your kids? Are you investing in your kids? And so we have this saying, the gospel came to you because it was heading to someone else. And every person listening is either running with passion, with the baton, and hang, handing it on to the next generation, or they're fumbling the handoff. And so that's what we want to do. We want to help churches. We do it inside the local church. Plan A is the local church. So how do you create a systematic, comprehensive discipleship strategy to get people from crossing the threshold of faith as a new believer to a maturing believer who is replicating their life into the life of others. All right. We've been thinking about new believers and, and how do you grow them. Think for, for just a moment with me about new pastors. What, what do you think are some of the key challenges that a, a new pastor would face early in his ministry, and, and what would be your advice to him on tackling those challenges? Yeah. Man, I remember. I'm still learning these things. I would say, as a word of caution, um, as a new pastor, it's tempting to tackle too much, whether it's too much in a message. You remember this, new pastor. I mean, you, you want to preach the whole chapter of Romans 8, or, or you want to preach the whole book of Ephesians, right? And so you feel like you have to write this seminary paper, and you have 35 minutes to do it. So I would say, be careful of tackling too much in a message and tackling too much in a work week. The last thing you want to do is to get yourself so busy with doing, and, and it never ends, I get that in a new church context, that you are forced for a Saturday night special, and then you're looking at Sermon Central pirating other people's sermons. Which leads to the second thing, and I just I get people thinking about this. I see so many new pastors, and I've been there myself, where you start imitating other people that you sound nothing like who you are. And what I want people to realize is, you are the only you on the planet, and God made you uniquely the way you are, so just be you. Now, granted, have we all tried to preach like John MacArthur? Yeah, at times. Have we all tried to imitate uh, Charles Stanley? Yes, at times. But you need to be you. And so, and I would say, remember this, God loves you regardless of what you do for him. Your ministry is received, not achieved. So what that means is, and I told our church this, the greatest spiritual gift you can give your church is, your, is not your preaching ability, not your pastoral care, not your counseling ability, not the visitation skills, not your counseling insights. The greatest spiritual gift, pastor, you can give your church is your personal walk before God. Paul said, in a great house, there are vessels of gold and silver, wood and clay, some for honorable use, others for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable... He'll be a vessel of honorable use, set apart, for, uh, honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master, ready for every good work. And so, I don't know about you. I want to be ready for the wow. Lord's work. Uh, what What's the short list of uh, the key essentials of great preaching? Hmm. Yeah, I would say text thoroughly text driven. 
you know, as a, as a text-driven preacher, you have to believe that the Word is going to do the work. We don't have to dress the Word up. We don't have to make it relevant. The Word's going to do the work in the, in the people. Second thing is Spirit-empowered preaching, J- just spending time with the Lord through prayer. I mean, how often do we, and I'm guilty of this, how often do we start to develop a sermon and, and through the development process and we forget to even pray? How are we in our natural mind going to discern a supernatural text in our own ability? So I would say just spend time in prayer. Uh, and then I would just say just the principle of applying, and I said this earlier, just working out how do you connect the dots. So many sermons, I think, will tell us about the great things of God. I mean, for example, I, I use this illustration. It'd be like going to an unreached people group with bottled water. They, they don't have a well. They have no access to water. They're using rainwater. But you come with cases of bottled water. You present the water. It's colorless. You describe it. It's odorless. You do it eloquently. It, it's refreshing. It's clear. It has no color. And you leave it with the people. You get on the plane and leave. What are they going to do with the water? Nothing. Why? Because you didn't tell them to drink it. And so it's good to taste. And Not only is it good to hear the qualities and the communicable qualities and the indescribable qualities of God, but it's also good to taste and see that the Lord is good. Wow. What are some key things that that the average preacher could do to improve his preaching? Just in, just in general, what could all yeah. of us do? I would say be a reader, a lifelong learner. Again, I said this earlier, leaders are readers, and the, the day you stop learning, I think, is you stop leading. So I just say, people say, how do you get your illustrations? Where do you get your ideas? Where do you get the sermon illustrations? Uh, I, I've got two categories. Obviously, I look through books and obviously study, but it's through reading. So reading books, I'll earmark books. But what I started doing recently, when I went to Long Hollow, uh, I stepped into a church where people didn't know me. I was following a pastor who was there 18 years, beloved pastor, the height of the ministry, you know, by, by um, just through illness, he passed away of cancer. So I walk into this church at the height of the ministry. They didn't want to lose the pastor. They definitely didn't want me, obviously, at first. And so they don't know me. They have all these preconceived notions, just like I would of the new pastor. And one of my staff members said, Robbie, I know you like to opt for a Spurgeon story or a Calvin or a Whitfield or a Wesley illustration, but they want to know their pastor, and you will teach them about you. Now, I've always been taught in seminary, you don't want to elevate yourself in stories, obviously. So I'm not painting myself as the hero, but I'm just sharing the mishaps of just normal life in the Galilee home. And I'm going to tell you, Doc, since I started doing that, People would come up and say, we feel like we know you. And golly, thanks for sharing that because I mess up like that with my kids too. So what I do is I have a running list on my phone of just sermon illustrations. For example, I was here last week in Dallas for a conference. We got on the wrong, we went to the wrong airport. There's two, Dallas is so big. There are two airports 30 minutes away from each other. We got there early. We were all excited. I went to the airport. I'm flying American Airlines. I go to the gate with all sincerity. I'm like, hey, where does, I can't find the gate. Where does American fly? The guy says, it does not fly here. You're at the wrong airport. Now, so I had that Uber to, to DFW across town. Well, I used that last Sunday because I preached a sermon on do all religions lead to God? And the case I made was just because a person is sincere, they can be sincerely wrong. I walked up to that counter to fly home with a ticket with all sincerity, but I was at the wrong airport. And some of you, I said, are going to stand before the Lord, and you're going to approach that spiritual airport with a ticket that cannot be refunded, changed, or rebooked. There will be no Uber. And they're going to say, this, this airport doesn't fly north. We go south. 
what kind of ticket do you have? So that's a perfect example, just to give you for instance, of how I just use something very fresh, very real, and I just log that in my phone. I don't think we can do any better than that. <laughs> Our guest on Preaching Source today has been uh, Robbie Gallaty, senior pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and one of my favorite people to talk to, as well as preachers to listen to. Robbie, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's always a joy to be with you.